We're now at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. In the last uh, lesson, we covered verse 5. The man, Christ Jesus, is the one and only mediator or intercessor between God, the Holy One, and fallen humanity. There are no saints or Mother Mary praying for us. Their reward when they died is to enter into bliss and never be reminded of the things down here. If they go to heaven and then sit and watch all their loved ones suffering and having all those problems, how that can be heaven to them. The Bible says those things won't even come into remembrance. They've entered into the joy of the Lord, and pain and sorrow and all that will pass away for them. So there are no one praying for us that are dead. Their reward is complete now and complete bless, okay? So the so-called intercessor that is dead and not on earth is false. Many people are praying to dead Christians, and they're wasting their time. It's idolatry. It's idolatry to pray to people that are dead, anyone. We have intercessors today, and they're the body of Christ, but they can only intercede effectively. The Spirit of Christ is in them to help us pray. But our main foundation is Jesus Christ, the mediator. And that's why Hebrews makes it very plainly. There's one mediator. There are not many. There's one. And it's uh, Christ himself is the mediator between man and God. So let no one fool you uh, with these other things. It's a form of idolatry. Centuries and centuries ago, one of the popes of the Roman Catholic Church wanted to destroy the book of Hebrews because it refutes so much of their beliefs and their teaching. But his council advised him against it. And that was okay because the Roman Catholic Church said only the priests can interpret Scripture properly. So they just twist it to their own destruction. They didn't have to get rid of it. They think the Word of God, the church, and the Pope are equal. They don't base the foundation of everything on the Word of God. That's why there's so much heresy and adultery, spiritual adultery, and they can mix with all kinds of religions. That's why Jezebel and the wicked woman in Revelation, the scarlet woman, she's called an adulteress. See, she professes Christianity, but she mingles with all the false cults. For instance, uh, Haiti, a very spiritually dark country, is 80% Catholic, 20% Protestant, and like they say, 100% voodoo. If you mix Christianity with anything, it's called idolatry. You're not a Christian. A lot of people in certain parts of the country, even here, Orientals that still hold on to some of their Buddhism and their other, and they sort of feel comfortable mixing them. Well, they're going to hell. God doesn't accept that. That's idolatry. We must forsake the other gods if you're going to serve the Lord. He says, you serve the Lord and him only. He said, I am a jealous God. And he said, if you go after other gods and so forth, he said, I will be a consuming fire to you. That He's going to be a hell to him eventually. The lake of fire is the very nature of God expressing his wrath and anger, for there is no place that God is not, and God upholds everything. In the end of Hebrews, he says, serve God with fear. 
and trembling and rev proper reverence for our God is a consuming fire. That's a threat. If you don't serve him and follow the Lord, you are an idolater. You're serving somebody or something else or yourself. And it's judged, as far as God is concerned, as idolatry. Okay. Now, verse 6 says, verse 5 again, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, or men. It's the man, Christ Jesus, emphasizes now the Son of Man. It's not emphasizing his office as Son of God, because he had to do this as a man. He had to come as a teacher and prophet. He ultimately had to be the sacrifice, and he had to do this as a man without sin, yielded to the Holy Spirit. Everything he basically did, he did as a man, yielded to the Holy Spirit. He was baptized with the Spirit when John baptized him, and he was given power. He did not take on his godhood. He laid that aside. Scripture says he emptied himself. So whether it means literally or means he could not use it, that's what happened. He could not act as God on his own initiative. He had to follow and obey the Father as a man. And said he did. He said, he always pleases him and he always hears me because he never sinned. He never disobeyed him. Therefore, when he finished his life, he could offer himself as a sacrifice because he was holy, harmless, and undefiled. And his sacrifice, we'll see in a minute, that it was accepted, obviously. So he tells us in verse 6, he gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony given at the proper time. Okay, if we go to Hebrews 9, 14 and 15, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Okay, so after he did all of this, he was acceptable, a sacrifice, okay? And then we go to Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. It was his resurrection the scripture said because he was holy and harmless, the, the grave could not hold him. The psalm says it could not, death could not hold him. It had no power. So when he accomplished God's purpose and went into paradise and proclaimed himself and the gospel, he took them up with him, the righteous ones. The wicked was still left in hell. Uh -huh. But he took them up with him because he had overcome. And therefore, his body for three days could not rot or decompose because there was no sin in it. There could be no penalty. So the Lord sustained him and waited. And then he resurrected. Bodily, he resurrected and roamed around for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. So it was the Spirit that declared him, the Spirit of holiness. That's God himself. He's saying he's acceptable. And the proof that he's acceptable is he's resurrected. 
and death could not hold him. And then he ascended into heaven, and the Godhead was returned to him. Remember, he said, give me the glory I had with you before the world was. What was that glory? In the beginning was the word that was him, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was created, the world, it was created through him. So before Abraham was, he was. He was before, he said, the father loved me before the foundation of the world. Literally says he was face to face with the Father. Everything that was done was done with him also. All ministries and gifts in the new covenant, you always find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved. They're not separated. Okay? One God manifesting himself in what we call three persons. They're not three separate gods. Okay? Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. So he's making it plain how close and what the relationship is, okay? Jesus did not die, again, let's remember this. He did not die, as the heretics teach, some of the ultra-Calvinistic heretics. He did not die for those who were predestined and chosen. They were not predestined and chosen before they were ever born. God's plan was in effect, and in his mind, before these things came into being. So the church is predestined. The body of Christ, hell shall not prevail against it. If there's just three, four people, that's the church. So no matter how wicked it gets, as the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and as the days of Noah, he will have a people. And if they stay with the plan, but the plan is not going to be altered. Uh-huh. The way of salvation has been made, and it's plain, and nobody can alter it. Only the individual can refuse it, reject it, or stop following it. But the plan is of God, and it's in effect, okay? So the called and the chosen, or we say the chosen and the elect, they are the ones that respond to the call. The Holy Spirit, by His grace, and whatever some call them dispensation, whatever period of time God was dealing with, they were held accountable to the conscience first, and then the law later added things. And the complete reformation, you may say, was when the gospel of grace came. When the Holy Spirit poured out his spirit on the 120, that was the beginning of the practical church as far as the Lord was concerned. So he died, the scripture says he died for everyone. For God so loved the world, that includes everyone. Yeah, but it said there's a condition for them to receive it, okay? So he died for the sins of the world. He did not die for people he chose before they were born. This is nonsense, and it's monstrous. It makes God worse than a devil. And it makes him contradicting himself if you read scripture. Uh-huh. He said, it's not his will that any perish, but all come to the knowledge of truth. He didn't say, it's not my will for the elect to perish. Okay, And so people get privileges and promises when they stay with the Lord. God initially is no respect for a person's, but if a person sins against his grace, he can despise that soul and have no regard for him. In Psalms, it says he hates the soul of a violent person. And people just bypass those scriptures. He isn't changed. I'm the Lord that changes not. He loved the wicked and goodwill, 
but not in covenant. And unless they turn to him, they're still his enemies, and they will experience the wrath of God in eternity. Uh, he still despises the wicked soul, but he holds off in his grace. He still offers them a peace treaty, and he holds off on his judgments. He can extend long suffering. These are the parts of God that show forth his grace. To be just and holy, anytime a man sins, God could strike him dead if he wanted to because he's a wicked sinner. But he's shown to be long-suffering and patient. It's not his will that any. He has no pleasure, it says, in the death of the wicked. And the gospel is for everyone. It's given for everyone. Said God winked at the Gentiles that didn't know much and didn't hold them as accountable outwardly. But once the gospel came, he's not winking once they hear the gospel. He said, now everyone everywhere is commanded to repent and receive the Lord. They bring in greater grace and greater truth. So they're responsible for this. Okay. So he died for all sinners and all sins of mankind. They've fallen from God, peace with God, and so he's done something in his plan of salvation and offered the remission of sins and the power to believe in him and follow and obey him. Believing is not a mental ascent. When you read the scripture, they interchange, even in Hebrews, belief and obedience are one word. It said you must obey the gospel. That's what James said. And Paul said the same thing. He said, it's whomsoever you obey, that's who your master is. If you obey righteousness, you get life. He said, you obey sin, the wages of sin is death. So he answered those who think they got greasy grace and once saved, always saved. And he pre-entered their thoughts and said, oh, shall we stay in sin and live it up because we're under grace, like some of the false teachers and heretics teach? Oh, we'll just lose a few rewards. You'll lose your eternal destiny. You will weep and wail in the lake of fire for eternity. That's what God said he's going to do, okay? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Serve him with godliness and reverence. The fear of the Lord also, people say, well, you don't have to be afraid. That's true. Perfect love casts out fear. If you're walking with the Lord and you are obeying him and following your conscience, the, the conscience cannot convict you. The Holy Spirit will not. But that's the condition. But if you're not following the Lord, don't reply. These heretics, they grant that one scripture out of context. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. They name all of these things. But it's interesting, he doesn't say one word in there about sin. He's talking about persecution and enemies and the, of the world. And that promise was only given to those who are walking in Christ. So if you're not walking in the Spirit following the Lord, that promise doesn't apply to you. Another one that they love to quote, God will not allow you to be tempted above your able. I've heard many people in the world say, well, God only gives us what we can bear. That ain't true. He's talking to Christians that are in covenant. He's not talking about the wicked. They reap, and things can happen to them in this wicked world if they don't serve the Lord, and they could be random. They will die by the laws of nature if they're not smart, and sometimes God don't interfere with it one way or the other. They're not in covenant, and they're wicked, and they deserve what they get. But he's long-suffering in this, and he said he wishes all to repent 
and come to the knowledge of the truth. And of course, we'll see that, and we know that all will not. He has told us that we've seen the actions of people. So fallen mankind as a whole hates the truth. That's part of his corrupt nature. And that is their condemnation. They love evil. They're capable to choose and do good, morally good, and obey God outwardly. Cain was able to do that, and the Lord warned him. He said, when that that sin, and it was anger and murder, crouches at your door as a beast, but you overcome it. Well, he wouldn't have told Cain that if Cain couldn't have. So in every dispensation, man's held a responsible and there's various light. Under the law, you did certain things, and you could sacrifice and confess, but for certain sins, there was no mercy. You were put to death. Uh-huh. There was less grace, but they were responsible. Even Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for their wickedness, and Jesus told some of the cities that he went to in town, he said, if they had heard me preach, they would have repented a long time ago, but they were not given that great grace because it wasn't the time. But they were guilty and they deserved what they got anyway. So he was showing them. But he said, you cities and towns will be cast down to hell. He implied you'll get a greater punishment than Sodom and Gomorrah did because you've rejected me. And in many cases, they asked him to leave the towns and cities. And he said, the day of judgment, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, And we know what the scripture talks about how wicked they were. Okay. So fallen mankind, he has the nature that is drawn toward evil, but he has the ability to exercise his will and do good and righteous. Doesn't say he has to be perfect or is perfect. God is going to take care, but he has a standard that he requires. And people have never heard the gospel. Uh, they could be judged by their conscience and the truth they've been given and what they're following and how they're living. Because if they follow their conscience perfectly or near perfectly, they already know not to murder and kill and steal. That's put in a man. Only when he lies to himself and continues in sin is he deceived, and then he gets past feeling, and his conscience don't bother anymore. If your conscience don't bother you, you're in trouble because it's the Holy Spirit that uses the conscience to convict of sin. So if you become calloused, you're in a dangerous position, okay? But he did not say they have to be perfect and never fail. Job, the Lord, bragged to the devil and said, look at him, my servant. There's none like him in all the earth who hates evil and loves righteousness. He said there was none like him in all the earth. It's believed at that time that Jacob may have been living in Joseph, and they were in a different covenant. But it didn't say Job was sinless. Actually, he made sacrifices, so he was some kind of priest of the Most High God. And when his three friends accused him of being wicked and everything, and God rebuked them, he said, I'll have Job pray for you, lest I reward you according to your wickedness. And he made sacrifice that God wouldn't judge them, because they were wrong in all their evaluations, okay? So man has the sinful drawing because of the sinful nature because it's inherited. But again, God doesn't hold him to perfection. He sets rules that he must walk by, and God determines, and he knows what they're doing and not doing. So 
No one's going to hell for not hearing the gospel. They're going to hell for disobeying the gospel when it's gone. And no one's going to make it to heaven who's a living murderer, idolater, worshiping other gods, because the conscience would correct you if you're following it. So it's without excuse. And he will judge them. And some will, Paul said, will be excused. They Gentiles that never heard the gospel. There's still some that haven't, because most of the gospel is false. Most of the gospel that preach has become false. So God will deal with them according to what they heard, what they yielded to, and what they're following with their conscience. And so it's very important to keep a clear conscience before the Lord. So man is not a senseless demon that he has to be evil. No, man is capable in God's eyes to be good and evil. And he told people through Proverbs, through Psalm, he says, now you do righteousness and I'll save you. And a lot of people say, well, there's no righteous. Yes, there is. God give them a different standard. You obey my voice and you do this and that. I consider you righteous. He didn't say I consider you sinless or blameless because he's going to take care of that in Christ. Even the law, that's why they had sacrifice because the rules of the law could not forgive you. It was simply stating facts and truth. It was only the sacrifice that shown that God could be gracious and forgive under certain conditions. Confessing and turning from their sin is that he that forsakes, confesses and forsakes his sin shall find mercy. The person who just confesses their sin and never does nothing about it, they get nothing from God. That's the double-minded that James warned about. He said, don't you think, don't you let yourself think that a double-minded person, he said, the Lord would not give him anything. He made it plain. He said, a double-minded Christian, a person, will not receive anything from the Lord. See, he gets tired of it. And so they're up, they're down, they're back and forth until they get stable. He's not required to answer any prayer or accept them who they are. Okay? So we see so much of our Christianity and Christendom is false, actually. So man is always giving grace to some level. God is not judging anybody because they don't know certain things. He judges them for what they know and the depth of the truth they've gotten. And nobody's going to be excusable before him. He has the records. He knows everything. And they're not going to be able to say, well, no one gave me the truth. No one else said you had a Bible. How come you never read it? How come you didn't pray and seek God to learn truth? You could have done that on your own. Well, see, they want it to be easy. Well, the scripture tells us that it's not. The way is hard and difficult, and few there be that find it. It means that I keep searching. Uh-huh. And it says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means seriously. So if you just give God five minutes and say, well, he didn't answer my prayer, you're a fool. And the scripture will call you. If you don't diligently seek the Lord, then he don't take uh, in mind anything you say. He's not into flippancy. Uh-huh. Jeremiah says, when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you'll be found of him. Well, God knows the individual and knows if they're doing their best with the light they have, and then he'll respond. But if they're not, he's not doing anything for them. So he isn't answering flippant people and casual people and people that just have a few minutes for him once in a while. Uh, he ain't messing with them. Scripture teaches that. That is foolishness and lightness, and it has no regard for God or for the right way. Okay. 
Uh, so we see too that uh, John 3.21 states that the person that does the truth comes to the light. This was before the gospel. It means when they get the truth, they respond to it. And so when the gospel came, that's how Jesus got so many saved. You know how? Because John the Baptist preached repentance and told them to get right because the Lord's coming. And if they had not repented, they would have missed it. And that's why the Pharisees could not understand Jesus. They didn't repent. They were finding fault. They hated him. And he said, you will die in your sins because you don't believe in me. The Father hides the truth from these people. When you sin, he'll take the truth away and send you a lie. He'll let you be deceived and send spirits to do it. That's the consequences. The main weapon of the devil is deception and lies. That's how he got Eve to fail. He tricked her because she didn't reconsider what she was told. She didn't reason it out. And she shouldn't have been talking to him about those things without her husband there. Uh-huh. So she decided to do something on her own. And she got in trouble, didn't she? So whatever a person's light and grace and truth they're given, they're responsible for. And if they don't use that, that can be taken from them. People that have been given the truth, those who come under conviction of the Holy Spirit, and most people that do, reject the gospel. And they get harder and harder. They might be able to get saved later. There may be a time when the Lord don't convict them anymore. Each time they're held accountable for rejecting the spirit of truth. And there's always a consequence for despising the spirit of truth. He said, God and spirit will not always strive with man, with men. He's not going to do it. Okay? So if they don't want to teach that, God is love and you can come to God anytime you want to, that's a lie. So if you don't use the grace and truth you're given, it can be taken from you. Lies, blindness, deception, follow those who reject the truth and who want to be willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant means they don't want to come to the light. They love their sins, they're self-indulgent, they love their life, and so they ignore it. But they willingly know what they're ignoring, God's will, to follow him, and they don't want to do it, okay? They love pleasures of sin more than God, okay? So God initially, like I say, he's immediately, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, he begins the plan of salvation. He immediately does what? He gets them furs to cover their nakedness. He had to shed blood to do that. And that's the symbol of the sacrifice of the animals. He began then, and he completed it with Christ, okay? And so at the end, when he was on the cross, and ready to die to give up his spirit, he said, it is finished. So by his sacrifice, he covered all the sacrifices from when God slayed the animal for Adam and Eve through the law, all the sacrifices that were just symbols. But he said the blood of animals could not remove sin. It could only cover it temporarily until Christ paid for it. And that's why he said it's finished. He paid the ransom for everybody. So the plan of salvation is strictly from God, okay? The plan of salvation is all of God. The plan, the receiving or the rejection, that's man's responsibility. Man must accept God's plan. Even in repentance and confession, the Holy Spirit will help man during that time, but he will not believe or repent for him, okay? 
there has to be the combination. There is no irresistible grace. You know, a lot of people think there are, but there's not. Let's go to the gospel. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, see, that's when the gospel's given. To them he gave the right and the power to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. What name? The Lord Jesus Christ, who were born not of blood of the humanity, nor of the will of the flesh, any earthly thing, nor of the will of man, but of God. It means the plan of salvation had nothing to do with man. That's God's business. But receiving the plan has everything to do with man. So people use this to pervert it. irresistible grace, and we're saved, and you don't have to worry about anything, and you can never sin, and all that. It's a bunch of garbage, and it's a demonic teaching. Uh-huh. So the plan is from God, and it's solely God. His grace and his wisdom made the plan. But whether the plan will be effective, the man has to yield to it, he has to receive it, or he has to reject it. That's up to him. And most people that come under conviction of sin do not receive the Lord. For they, like Jesus said, they love darkness rather than light. They have the ability to do it, but they don't want to do it. And they have free will until it's seared or until a demon takes them over. They can do good and yield. They've given that possibility, or he wouldn't hold them responsible. And that's why every man's brought into judgment. He's held accountable for any depth of grace and mercy the Lord's given to him when he's not responded to this, okay? So the plan is all God's grace. The receiving or rejecting of it is man's duty, and yet the helper, the Lord helps him. He cleanses his conscience. He places him in a right position where the Spirit of Christ can indwell him in a relationship that he doesn't indwell the world. You see, if the truth's known, God is everywhere. There's not a place he is not. Paul said, we live and move and have our being in him. The most wicked person on earth, God's closer to him than he is in knowledge and presence. But they're further away from God in relationship. The person in the lake of fire is going to experience the presence of God, eternal fire and wrath and judgment. See, there's no place that God is not. David said, where shall I go to get away from him? There was no place, for he encompasses the whole universe, is in him. We live and move, Paul said, and have our being, our existence, in him. Okay? So when God's Spirit moves to convict, usually through the gospel, it convicts or convinces a person that they are a sinner and they need a Savior and that is Christ Jesus. Man is responsible to use his will to accept it or to reject it. Most men, under God's spirit and grace and convicting, will reject it. Men love darkness, sinful pleasures, and selfishness. They love to find their own life. But God's given them capability to choose otherwise, but they choose not to. They can choose to repent and get help from Christ but they don't do it. So before and during and after the Christian call, man retains his will. He can continue in grace 
or he can give up and go back to the world and be rejected. And that grace will have been given in vain. And that's why Hebrews says it's impossible for repentance if he tramples the blood of Christ and despises the Spirit, and he once walked with the Spirit and tasted of the powers of the world to come, then he turns away. Well, Peter said it's better not to have known the way. And some of them, they cannot repent. They're hardened. And God is great. He can show mercy to whom he will, and he can reject it once they've given enough light. Saul and Pharaoh, God got tired of that. And he rejected them, and he was not going to ever show grace toward them anymore. But they were given plenty of opportunity, okay? And they despised the dealings of the Lord. So the call of the gospel is to draw and convict, okay? See, God's gracious in that. No man comes to the Father lest the Father draws him. So man chooses this whether he wants to be faithful, loyal to the end, or overcome in his lifetime, he can or he cannot. Let's go ahead and take a break here.